Almost. 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 Major. 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 Holy fucking shit, this is major! Hello and welcome to another episode of Almost Major, where we talk about the many major studios and the films they released. Today we're talking about the Rules of Attraction 2002, put out by Lionsgate. My name is Kevin Tudor. I'm here with Charlie Nash. Hello. And Brian Doyle. Hello. And returning with us is uh, Kate Brazel. How are you? Great. Thank you. And like I said, we were talking about Rules of Attraction from 2002. This opened on October 11th, 2002 at 12th place in 1,437 theaters. Uh, budget was $4 million. Opening weekend, $2.5 million. Domestic gross, $6.5 million. And overall gross of $11.7 million. Top five films that weekend was Red Dragon, Sweet Home Alabama, Brown Sugar, The Transporter, and My Big Fat Greek Wedding in its 26th week. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Those were all big. I knew exactly when this was peak me going to Hastings time and knowing all these movies. Did I did I rent Sweet Home Alabama at the age of like 10? Yes. I also rented Transporter because I had to. Um, yeah. <laughs> I have weirdly never seen Sweet Home Alabama or any of the it's Transporter not good. movies. Yeah. <sighs> I haven't seen Transporter since like 02. Um, I have so. seen yeah, I have seen My Big Fat Greek Wedding a ton of times as a kid. And uh-huh. I have seen Red Dragon, which like <laughs> I mean, that's arguably Brett Ratner's best movie, but who cares? That's not saying much, yeah. <laughs> also, Brett Ratner's a horrible monster person. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I've heard people say, like, about Red Dragon, it's like it's, like, it's basically like a shot-for-shot remake uh, of, like, Manhunter, and Manhunter is, like, people say, like, that's the better movie. It's like, why would you... Yeah. Like, yeah, it's... It does have an insane cast, though. Like, I mm, don't... That's why I want to watch it, yeah. I yeah. don't understand how Brett Ratner was able to get Philip Seymour Hoffman, Mary Louise Parker, Emily Watson, Ray Fiennes... Edward Norton, like <laughs> Rush Hour, baby. That uh, that he had, he had that he had the goods at the time. I, guess. I, I haven't seen any of the Rush Hour movies either. I've seen but, all three. <laughs> Some of them. Multiple. I I forget the third one, but yeah, I've seen. I had TNT growing up, so I've seen Rush Hour five hundred times. Um, I watched Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights a lot. As a kid. oh, of course, Shanghai yeah. Noon's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah um number one song in the u.s this week a moment like this by kelly clarkson and number one song in canada this week you'll never guess it a moment like this by kelly clarkson um (laughs) um was that was that after she it had to have been after she won it was probably post win pre from justin to kelly okay um the rules of kelly was 2003 i think oh yes that was that was on my list of movies that I've only seen when I downloaded them on LimeWire. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Rules of Attraction follows the in- incredibly spoiled and overprivileged students of Camden College that are a backdrop of an unusual love triangle between a drug dealer, a virgin, and a bisexual classmate. Written for the screen and directed by Roger Avery prior to this, Killing Zoe in 1993, story by credit on Pulp Fiction 1994. After this, he wrote Silent Hill in 2006 and Strangely Beowulf in 2007. That is insane to me. I never knew as someone who's been standing up for the silent hill movie for a while i had no idea he wrote the movie also uh not the best part of that movie <laughs> i don't think no. that for the screenplay for silent hill <laughs> no no um, and, and then beowulf it's like oh this story is like not terrible or anything but like holy shit this movie's horrible to look at it looks like a terrible like lagging ps2 cut scene or whatever yeah <laughs> i i saw that movie opening night in theaters and i was like this looks like shit like this is the way of the future zemeckis yeah ridiculous yeah silent hill that's a that's like a 65 to 70 percent like just amazing movie and then it gets into the cult of it all and i was like i don't fucking care it doesn't make any sense but it's so gorgeous to look at and i actually rewatched it a couple years ago because i remember even in high school i was like this movie doesn't make any sense but once you go into it knowing it doesn't make any sense and it's a (laughs) visual feast oh my god there's some images that you could not shake i also mm-hmm. remember that was one of the times i like got a friend's mom to buy us tickets and it was like at the movie theater i was in there were two entrances to the theater and silent hill was on two screens and we mm-hmm. with our tickets to one entrance and they were like can we see your ids and we're like oh we left them in the car uh one second and we went back to the box office and it was like that was for the seven o'clock show so then we went up to the box office we're like hey we're not gonna be able to make the seven o'clock can we go to the seven thirty? and he was like oh sure and took like a fat black permanent marker crossed out seven o'clock and wrote seven thirty over silent hill and we mm-hmm. went up to the next theater and they were like what huh and we were just like 
oh, we 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 were running. Hurry late. up! We gotta walk. We gotta go. We gotta go. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on in, and we were like, holy fuck! How the hell did that work? So <laughs> that is how I snuck into Silent Hill when I was like, I don't know, fourteen. I only tried to sneak into one movie and was quickly kicked out and made to watch Max Payne. So I never tried that again. <laughs> um, Kate, have you ever seen Silent Hill? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very interesting that that director is like a massive fan of Silent Hill and is going to be doing the next Silent Hill movie, which is based on Silent Hill Two. So that's gonna that's gonna kick ass. Um, You're a huge fan of the games, right, Kevin? Because I've never played yes. the games, but I want to. I've never owned a video game system that supports any of those games. Oh well, yeah, and they've never been well. They were quote unquote two and three were quote unquote remastered for PS3, but they're like terrible. But yeah, mm-hmm. they've they've never been like re released. So, but yeah. First one's great. The second one is like one of the my favorite just stories ever. It's just it's depressing as hell. And the third one is just like it's almost like the I, playing that just felt like the big budget sequel of it. It's just like everything's here and it's just so outlandish and whatnot and over the top, but it's still a fun time. And then four is just I just gave up. But yeah, Silent Hill, check them out. Um, again, this is an adaptation of a book written by Brett Easton Ellis, uh, starring James Vanderbeek as Sean Bateman. Prior to this, he was the Dawson in Dawson's Creek from 1998 to 2003. Holy shit, you're the Dawson! Has anyone here watched Dawson's Creek? Because I need to. No, I have watched the Law & Order SVU episode that he's on, which is we're one getting, of the insane we're getting, things. Oh, yeah. we're getting there, don't worry. Um, okay, okay, I'll save it. I'm rubbing my palms together for how disgustingly awful that episode is. <laughs> um, Varsity, Blue, Varsity Blues in 1999, which I have somehow not seen either. Um, after this, not much, honestly. He played a version of himself on Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, uh, CSI Cyber for a year, but most importantly is his appearance on Law and Order SVU in 2012, and now Charlie has the floor. Have you... If any of you seen the SVU episode, he is in called Father no. Dearest. No. Okay. Uh, Law and Order SVU, it, it's been a freak show for like 10 years. The premise of that episode is that they find out that all of these young teenage girls are all looking for their biological father. They were all, um, you know, they were all uh, sperm, uh, you know, the result of sperm donation. So then they find out that the sperm donor has been meeting up with all of them and having sex with all of them. So you're like, okay, they're, he's grooming them. That's gross. And, but the fucked up thing is that they frame the episode that all of the girls are like, oh, he's the father I always dreamed of. Then when they find out that it isn't their biological dad, all of them are devastated. And like, it's just the most fucked up thing. Or like, and it's like in a montage where they're all like, no, no, like he told me all these things that nobody would have known. And there's like a scene where Mariska Hargitay is talking to one of them. He's just like, yeah, he was the dad I always dreamed of. And it cuts to Mariska Hargitay like biting her lip. And she's like, you mean he wasn't? Like, and it's just like, who the fuck thought this would be okay? But it turns out it was James Vanderbeek the entire time because- Oh no back at the sperm donor because the sperm donor stole his girlfriend in medical school come on <laughs> it doesn't make any sense because it's like they're, but they're not his kids you know like it just, it's just so stupid and so like how did everyone read that script and go this makes logical sense let's green light this but like the rest of america i continue to watch occasionally because jesus christ the show is ridiculous but what the fuck <laughs> It's just so funny how like movies they'll but want them to cut them down or whatnot or it's to this or it's to that and it's like SVU is on every TV in America and it's TV fourteen. <laughs> yeah, it's disgusting that that whole show. It's like it's a nightmare where the worst yeah. crimes happen in Manhattan. <laughs> like, I'm yeah, sorry, I, I, I can think of a number of episodes back in the day that kind of scarred me. And I still sometimes think about from from those shows. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ian Summerholder as uh, Paul Denton uh, prior to this Young Americans TV show in 2000 also with Kate Broswell or Bosworth Bosworth yeah uh, after this Law and Order SVU in 2003 you got anything Charlie uh, but I've not seen the Kate Bosworth episode of SVU no the Ian I'm... Summerholder episode oh the Ian Summerholder no I have not seen that one ever. oh man okay. I'm sorry I've let everyone down I know all um, this build up for nothing <laughs> the, the remake of Pulse in 2006 he played Boone on Lost from 04 to 2010 and 171 episodes of Vampire Diaries from 09 to 2017 and uh, Ian Summerholder is not 
my man from Soul Survivors, uh, Wes Bentley, and he is also not uh, Chance Crawford from Gossip Girl. He's not. Um, Shannon Saucerman as Lauren Hyde. Prior to this, a few episodes of Mr. Show. I did not know. Um, she plays like three different people. It's like very not like actual characters. Um, and of course, she's in the music video for Make Me Bad by Corn. Hell yeah. Uh, Night's Tale from 2001 and 40 Days and 40 Nights in 2002. After this, The Order in 03. And I'm going to watch that garbage. Uh, Law and Order SVU in 2004. <laughs> nothing okay i don't have anything look i came with the james vanderbeek episode isn't that good enough <laughs> i know but three people and three people the main cast all been on svu look, that's that pretty shows, wild that shows on like it's 50th season or something i don't know you can't watch all of it but like and <laughs> um, i'm such a disappointment anyway i know uh kiss kiss bang bang in 2005 the remake of one miss call in 2008 i'm also gonna watch that garbage and this year a hulu original horror movie called jim cuddy about a killer meme and i'll is it called grim cuddy grim cuddy <laughs> even better yeah yeah i'll probably watch it uh also starring jessica beale kit pardue kate bosworth jay baronchal Baruchel, give some respect to that Canadian legend. <laughs> okay, Mr. She's Out of My League, Jaden Baruchel. Uh, Thomas Ian Nichols, it was the early 2000s, I'm sorry. Faye Dunaway, Susie Kurtz, and Strangely Paul Williams. Yeah. I couldn't believe when I saw Faye Dunaway and Susie Kurtz's name come up in the credits, and then when they showed up in the movie together, I, like, lost my mind. <laughs> like, like, I had blocked out that they were in the credits, and then I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> right um they're so good uh fate dunaway just the weirdest 2000s um but also just what was what was her last credited role the bye-bye man yeah uh lionsgate tested the film at a mall in conservative orange county as they saw the film as a teen comedy uh director roger avery saw the film as an assassination of teen comedies the test screening was reportedly horrible with dozens of walkouts and people short shouting f-word movie at the screen as they left regardless lionsgate insisted on marking the film as a teen comedy and opened it at wide release <laughs> oh boy so it's like you test it and you think it's a romantic comedy and everybody walks out and they say it's terrible and you're just like yeah we're going to keep marketing it as a teen comedy um of course sean bateman is the younger brother of patrick bateman and there was a deleted scene which bale turned down an offer to reprise bateman where casper van dean played patrick bateman but it was cut avery also asked brady snellis to play patrick bateman which he said was a such a terrible and gimmicky idea um i agree the, yeah that would be terrible yeah Gonna get cut regardless, but yeah. Uh, when the production couldn't afford George Michael's faith, Roger Avery sent the musician a letter asking if he could lower the price, but Michael just gave him the song for free. This scene was completely improvised on the spot. Uh, the end of the world party scene was filmed on 9-11. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, so that and the Turtle Club scene in Master of the Skies. <laughs> yeah. Um, where was I? One James for the history books. Yeah. <laughs> I think they eventually did like a uh, they reached out to everybody and was just like, do you know this is on IMDb trivia? Is that true? <laughs> um, that would not... be really funny if everyone from this on the set of Rules of Attraction was so fucked up that they didn't even know it was happening. <laughs> they found out like the next day and they were like, wait, what happened? Like... Yeah, because <laughs> I was watching the uh, anatomy of a scene uh, that's on the DVD that's from the Sundance channel where they talk about the split screens going into one and whatnot. And it showed the, sh the shot day of that and all of that. And it was like four days after 9 11. I'm just like, that must have been fun. Um, James Franco was the original choice to play Sean. Uh, Roger Avery later decided that he played it too much like the book and recast the role with James Vanderbeek, which I think he's <laughs> I think he's perfect for it. So <laughs> I'm sorry, just knowing what we know now about James Franco and that statement is like it's just it, it, i couldn't help but laugh because i got like chills down my spine when you said that it's like, like too perfect like because like for like because he is that like not far from that character but it would also make the movie impossible to watch like yeah just, yeah exactly which james vanderbeek being in this while still being on dawson's creek is just like perfect shit right there um yeah. the, uh, mm -hmm. Like Kate said in the previous episode, this is Brady, Brady Snell's favorite adaptation of his work. Uh, also, the DVD has six commentary tracks on it, and that's peak DVD right there for you. Uh, bring it back. And a bonus surprise commentary track with uh, Carrot Top. No, I did not listen to any of these because that's just ridiculous. Uh, Teresa Wayman, who plays the food service girl who is obsessed with Bateman, named 
quote-unquote Mary in the book, and Saucerman were both in the band Warpaint. Wayman is still in the band. Saucerman is not, but her sister still is. I did wow. not know that. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, the last footage shot for the film was Victor Victor's uh, European travel montage, which kicks ass, uh, shot over the course of 15 days by a crew consisting of just Roger Avery, Kip Pardue, and the producer. They ended up with over 70 hours of videotape. The excess footage was later edited into a movie called Glitterati in 2004, which, due to music rights issues, has yet to be released. And Victor is actually the lead character in Brett Ace Nels's book, Glamorama, and the plan was to uh, have Avery make that movie adaptation after Rules of Attraction, but that never happened. Um, um another bit of like weird like kind of life imitating art where like you know that character is like victor is like kind of like a predator where he is like you know like spreading stds and everything where like you know like one of the things written on his door is like victor the test came back positive be careful yeah. and everything and then no no that, that's not specifically what it is with pardue but pardue has since not has not been in anything since 2019 because he has been accused of sexual misconduct uh, so, uh, yeah. uh i mean what good performance we... in this movie but like it is like a thing that's like ooh creepy to think about what will the world do without kit pardue performances anyways um the film had also had to be cut to get an r rating just like american psycho the main points of contention which are restored in the unrated version is pretty much the only way to watch it now is the suicide of the food service girl in the beginning of laura's uh the beginning uh with uh lauren's assault so uh not as much take well pretty probably like a minute of both this and american psycho had to be taken out From the corrupt minds that brought you Pulp Fiction and American Psycho. So I pretend to be a vampire. Search for this night's prey. Who will it be? What are the rules of attraction? I think I'm in love with this girl. She's sweet, pure, innocent. She's a virgin. Say what you want. Abstinence is 100% safe, which is less of a percentage than whatever. I don't care. I don't major in math. It's totally blank. Typical. Do what you feel. It might be fun. You know you want it. You're drinking. Drunk. <laughs> I'm drunk. Tonight's the night. Oh, who's a lucky boy? Sean Bateman. He's a dealer. <laughs> Call security. <laughs> Get what you deserve. Ah! Don't stomp, don't stomp, don't stomp. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Take it to kicking in. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh. Gross, dude. I only did it with her because I'm in love with you. From the novel by Brett Easton Ellis. Where's my money? He's got it. You bring me my cab! I want to know you. What does that mean? Nobody knows anyone else. She's not ever going to want to see you again. Are you crazy? Ah! Define crazy. Deal with it. So what do you think? What do I think? Rock and roll. The rules of attraction. Your game, right? But uh, that's all the trivia I have. So uh, I believe I had seen this before. Kate had seen this before. Charlie, had you seen this before? I had not. Okay, Bryden, you hadn't? No, I think I'd, I'd seen like snippets of stuff. I'd seen like the Victor Europe montage because I feel like that was like the thing. Even people, some people who don't like this movie say like that scene is like really good. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll watch it. And then I was like, yeah, this is pretty pretty good. And then watch the movie now for the podcast in full. Yeah. Uh, initial thoughts, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I was, this is like, like, I've talked before about how like when it was like movies I hadn't seen or wasn't able to see I would read the plot synopses and this was like one of those movies where I'd read the plot synopsis so I knew like all the stuff that this movie contained and I was kind of dreading watching it because I mean I don't know if like this is like a thing we should do if we don't offer a trigger warning but there's like really there's like some really upsetting stuff that happens mm -hmm. in this movie uh even though it like does have like a largely darkly comedic tone there's like stuff in this movie that is like really hard to watch um yeah, yeah. and I don't think the movie I, I I ended up liking this movie okay like I, I so I wasn't it was better than I expected I don't think this movie always threads the needle with its tone, especially when it's dealing with some of the more horrific stuff. I think it's Avery's, I do like some of the style and it's, you know, better to have a movie that I guess like is trying to do stuff rather than not try at all. But I feel like Avery's tendency to like do these really show-offy camera moves 
can come off like in bad taste, like during the suicide scene where he's like doing stuff where he's like tilting the camera like a very overt way. And it's like, you're trying to make this like look like a cool stylistic trick. And I don't think he's like, it's not like he's playing it for laughs, but like it is like a thing where I'm like, you're pulling focus in like a a moment of like very real pain of this character or anything. It's like, it's kind of, you know, I feel like that's like meant to be kind of like a moment that takes you out of it where like everyone's like so callous to each other and like seeing the effects of the pain. And I feel like, him making it a moment to do something cool with the camera is like kind of the wrong move there, even though mm-hmm. it, it is harrowing to watch. I do, although I will say um, with like some of the, the tone and everything, I feel like having the the freeze frame punchline gag with like the vomit and the sauce and assault scene is like a yeah. horribly misguided choice. Yeah, um, That's, yeah, terrible. Um, and, you know, we were talking about like the, 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 the rewinding effect that he does like throughout the movie. And, yeah, like, kicks I, ass. <laughs> I would say it's... It works with the, and I think there is like something poignant to the idea of like these characters like trying to stave off the effects of time and like, you know, be forever young and everything. And, you know, that's like kind of an interesting parallel with American Psycho where it's very prominent that like Patrick Bateman is like putting on like stuff to like make sure he doesn't age and stuff like that to make his skin look perfect and everything. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of an interesting parallel here. But like, it is the kind of thing where he does the rewind effect in Rules of Attraction like three times in the first 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it goes on so much longer than you expect every time. It's just like, pacing-wise, I don't always think it's the best or anything. Where like, I'm thinking, oh, this would be cool if this was like maybe for 20 seconds. Instead, it's like 90 seconds of a whole yeah. scene. Like, just like, fucking stop. <laughs> like, I get yeah. it. And then, you know, it's Avery, like his tendency to underline, I think, is like a little, as a director, it can get in the way sometimes. Like, I think you know the voiceover narration while i think the actors are like pretty pitch perfect in terms of like just like capturing that sort of like flat affect and everything to show their their emotional detachment is like really well played but then like it's like he conveys like the look of like the the emotional atmosphere and the look at the of the what i'm assuming is like pretty close to the book and everything so like at one point where um in summerholder and uh james vanderbeek are getting high together and you see like sort of like this like foggy light texture and everything it's like oh that looks really cool but then like you have like in Summerholder narrating about like you know like the smoky din of the room it's like you don't need to have like every word like <laughs> represented like you're capturing the look of the book like perfectly with the visuals you don't need to have all the stuff and also like the emotional vampire line where it's like Vanderbeek's face is enough to convey that this guy's a fucking psychopath and everything yes yeah. it totally works um and I don't know I feel like when this movie tries to be funny like it, I feel like the sort of tendency but with the actors to like go super big is like kind of annoying like I hate the whole dick uh, restaurant scene because I just hate that actor and I feel like it's just like a lot of dead air people are looking like oh my gosh so shocking and like just sitting kind of squirming in their seats um I feel like that's much funnier when it's like the more like low-key dickish behavior like James Randerby just grabbing the CDs and be like I'm borrowing these and just walking out of the room mm. that's that's really funny um and um, I think the music, we were talking also about the music choices in this are, are like, oh, they kick ass, dude. They were, They're so were, good. They were really effective. And Avery, like, it's not like a lot of filmmakers now where it's like just the pro- wanted to have a lot of songs and then not really singing in the atmosphere. But, like, he really like gets the full meat of the song in there, everything where it's like, you know, the cure playing like during like the whole like sunny montage at the start showing the campus life or like and the lyrical content is often like very cleverly commenting on all of it, like Love and Rockets So Alive playing during like the the smoking weed scene and everything and it's like talk about like you know don't know what color your eyes are but you have long hair long and hair black hair and everything and it's like talk about like just how all these characters are like seeking for connection that they can't find like that's often like this sort of motif for all the songs so i think that's really well chosen um and but like i don't know the, the whole like I, I found this movie pretty watchable and like like i said i like the style but also I don't know. It, it does also make me wonder about like what the whole point of the unpleasantness is, especially like, you know, when you, like, especially with Vanderbeek, you know, projecting all this stuff on the sauce. I mean, I think the movie is critical of him, but then mm-hmm. also, and like, you know, projecting like this pure idea of her and anything, but then she doesn't really exist as a person, even though I think Sossaman is quite good in the movie. And I think her sort of warmth and naturalism is like a nice contrast to everyone else being kind of like rigid and cold and standoffish. But um, yeah, I don't know. So I'm not sure about what this movie is selling and anything, but I, I it is definitely watchable, and I, I think there'll be, there's some interesting stuff like to talk about with like parallels to like other LS adaptations, that we, like including Psycho, which we talked about, America Psycho. <laughs> I don't know why I shortened it, but uh, yeah, I want to hear what everyone else has to say. Um, yeah. You just gotta you gotta abbreviate it. Just AP. We say AP around these parts. Uh, Kate, uh, your thoughts on Rules of Attraction? Yeah. So for me, the first time I watched Rules of Attraction, I was in film school. And um, 
and it had somehow um, escaped me until then. And uh, my initial reaction when I watched it was that I both loved it and hated it at the same time. Mm. I hated mm. it because it, it got under my skin and there were definitely, you know, the, the trigger scenes that you guys have mentioned um, really bothered me quite a bit as kind of one of those, um, it's kind of like horror-esque, um, uh, like true nightmare scenarios that, that take place within the movie. And so those really haunted me. But at the same time, the way the story was told, the way it was told cinematically really, um, really, I felt like it was, it was pushed to new levels. And um, obviously I think the most iconic um, uh, example of that is when, when Vanderbeek and Saucemen are walking towards each other and then the, the mm -hmm. both cameras like collide into um, like one, two shot, which is, Oh, phenomenal. And I still sometimes have to watch the video on how they did that, <laughs> you know, just to mm. like, just yeah. to like refresh my brain that that new and unique and interesting things can be done with the camera. Um, and he, de he definitely does go a long ways in terms of his, um, uh, his use of uh, the, the language of cine cinematography in this, but it didn't, it didn't really pull me out as much as, as, um, as I guess it has some other viewers in the sense that for me, it kind of felt like it was leading me down this um, uh, chaotic uh, story of, of disconnection, um, you know, because like the, the language of cinema was used in such a disconnected and kind of so many different kinds of techniques were applied to it. And I feel like that is almost the same um, language that is through the the characters themselves because they're so disconnected and they're all trying to figure out who they are and figure out if they even know themselves or you know if they know each other and and um you know two characters i think vanderbeek and saucemen both say at one time you cannot know each other like you will mm -hmm. never know me. so i don't know I, I i felt like um the language of cinema was applied very well in this film for me and that's one of the reasons why i have watched it over and over and the more i do watch it the less um, it hurts me, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, but it might just be me, you know, preparing myself for those harsh scenes and knowing that they're coming. The first time I watched it, it, it truly, truly got under my skin. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah. Just, I think both me and Charlie arrived at the, just like, this is the most Gregorocki, non Gregorocki movie. Yeah. Which is very, very hard to do and anybody who tries is pretty fall flat on your face like he has one truly one of one but um yeah um that uh the anatomy of the scene thing that i was talking about i did upload that to youtube so people will be able to watch it because it's not online um but yeah it's very interesting how they how they did that where it wasn't two cameras they didn't have money for that so they literally had to do one and one and it took fucking forever and then they had to kind of cgi the scenes kind of together but they apparently they used some technique which i was stupid and didn't know about where it's just like you can it, it would pull the camera back and then it would lock in and you would know exactly where that locked in at so then the next time they did it they would just go back right to that spot and it's just like Something like that, I feel like if I were a director, I'd be like, okay, this this is gonna this is gonna be way too fucking much. This is fine. You can just cut to a scene of them both together. But it was just they really were nailing down where even Avery was just like, no, 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 I I know what this is gonna be, it's gonna be worth it, type of thing. And then eventually, whenever it did happen on set, everybody was just like, Oh, okay, now I know what you're doing. This isn't just a waste of time. <laughs> it's totally germane to what the mm -hmm. movie's saying thematically. It actually does. That's one of the tendencies where his show offiness, I think, is like needed there um yeah and i'm a i'm a huge fan of showing off stuff even if i vehemently hate it i'm just like give me as much <laughs> movie as you can give me i don't care um but yeah i i'd seen this pretty much when it came out and being that i was like i don't know 12 or 13 i was just like i what's sex i don't know Whoa. um <laughs> um so I, it was probably i liked it because i'm like this is what adults like so i like it but i hadn't seen it since then so I rewatched it last night and I pretty much with Bryden, although I do like a lot, it, it's, I think it's, I think it's fine, but I do like all the performances of it and the things that I could knock it for or the things that the movie is knowingly doing where I'm just like, yeah, nobody's a character and everybody's unlikable. It's like, yeah, that's the point. And I was just like, yeah, well, 
okay, then maybe I just don't like it. I don't know. <laughs> but I do, I do actually like it. And comparing it to the book, the book kind of really lost me until like the last like hour or two of it. Um, it's weird talking about books in hour format because I listen to all my books. Um, but there's a, there's, it's very, very similar to the book. So like Brady Snell is talking about, it's a good adaptation. It is, but there's a lot more in the book to show just how much uh, Lauren does not care about Sean Bateman, like at all, um, which, because in the movie, it definitely seems like she's, you know, having feelings for him and blah, blah, blah. And then whenever he fi- if she finds out that she he slept with Jessica Biel, he's, she's like mortified and whatnot. But in the book, it's just like, oh yeah, I learned that you, you slept with her. And she's like, I don't know. I'm just talking to you because I'm waiting for Victor to come back from Europe because in the movie, it kind of seems like they're not together, but it'll go back and forth kind of because when they see each other at the party, you would think they were, but she says she's waiting for Victor type of thing. But in the book, she he's he's at Europe for the entire thing, and, except at the end. And then when he comes back, she, he doesn't even know who she is. Um, so all that is in, is in the book and is brought into the movie. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a good time. I'm not bored. It's fine. Is it a good most- time? <laughs> well, <a> time. <laughs> not not in that part but like there's Sorry. plenty plenty of enjoyable stuff besides that the the suicide scene which i think besides Oof. the camera tilt and the needle the needle drop is really good like i was saying all the needle drops i was just like i don't remember this being as stacked as it is because of course american psycho has great needle, needle drops but for a pre-2000s movie to not just go for very basic ones like and using needle drops as jokes, like when Sean is masturbating to Afternoon Delight, it fucking killed me. Um, but yeah, um, I don't really have as much uh, comparing the book to the movie. There's not much taken out. The book is a lot shorter, so it's a lot easier to adapt. The main thing is that um, by the end of it, Lauren is pregnant and I'm not sure who it is, but Sean and her go on like a three day trip where they don't talk and all they do is do drugs. And by the end of it, he just sighs and he's like, fine, I'll pay for it. That type of thing. <laughs> so, and then at the end of the book, there's like a long conversation between her and Paul at the end where they're talking about how they used to date and all of that and blah, blah, blah. In the movie, you don't really get that. Besides in that, in that split screen where he's like, you just to date Paul, right? And then she's like, yeah, but in the book, it's a lot more, there's a lot more of Paul's bisexuality where I feel like in this one, he's just gay, but besides that line, mm-hmm. but it's definitely subdued a little bit more, which Brady Snellis is gay. So he always has gay characters in his. Wait, is he gay or is he bisexual? I thought, I thought he was, he was bi. I'll look this up. Hold on. He, uh, he, he is, he has uh, said himself that he's like, I either don't say I'm gay or I say I'm bisexual, but now I'm basically gay. He, okay. he goes, he was okay. one that he never wanted to express his sexuality because he didn't want his books to be perceived as a gay text or a bisexual text or anything like that. But he says in recent years, he's been able to just say he's gay. Okay. So, but yeah, like after I watched the anatomy of the scene thing, it made me be like, yeah, I'll probably go back to this because there's there's a lot of fun stuff in it. Well, not fun. You know what I'm talking about. Um, anyways, <laughs> uh, Charlie. Yeah. Um, so I watched this for the first time yesterday. Um, and yeah, Kevin mentioned, Kevin and Brighton and I are in a group chat and I did mention like, 45 minutes in, I wish I was watching a Greg Rocky movie right now. <laughs> to me, this did feel like a lot of similar uh, subject matter that Greg Rocky, who is another queer, I mean, Freddie Snellis is not a filmmaker, but Greg Rocky is a queer filmmaker tapped into in similar vibes with stuff like Nowhere and Totally Fucked Up, which also deal with a very narcissistic out of touch, primarily teens and early 20s characters who are narcissistic, self-absorbed. But I feel like when a Rocky's poking fun at them, there's also, it, he's poking fun at himself because he has these types of anxieties mm-hmm. and these types of fears that he's like, no, it's genuinely, uh, it, it's genuinely understandable to feel this way, but I'm so stuck inside my own head and I know that rules of attraction is not trying to do the same thing and it is a much more cynical these people have nothing going on inside their noggins type of approach but there is something about having watched Gregoraki tackle similar subject matter um 
which has just as much triggering content. Did I say that already? Um, Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I, well, about the world rules of attraction, yes, but not about. Well, uh, well like oh, Rocky, for Rocky, sure. You're, you're totally right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because nowhere also has sexual assault, suicide, all this stuff. But there's there's a. I think what is so sneaky and clever about Gregor Rocky's films that do similar things is that there is there is a sense of uh, warmth and empathy towards those characters. And I know, I, again, I know this movie's not trying to do the same thing, but I feel like this movie is so um unfiltered from Brett Easton Ellis's psyche and so obsessed with trying to I know I haven't read the book but I have read Lesson Zero and I know I've seen enough Brett Easton Ellis related material to feel like this is from his, my perspective his feel, this, his his language and his yeah what you feel felt, from one book feels the same in all the other ones yeah and I got what the movie was trying to say I kept also thinking like about Larry Clark films and how I watched Larry Clark movies when I was a teenager and how I ate that shit up. Um, I know we're going to cover Bully later on in the episode, and that's a movie I loved, loved, loved as a teenager, which I'm very terrified to revisit because also deals with similar subject matter, but mm-hmm. also very cynical and yeah. arguably exploitative. And has um, actual kids in it, which is like has the thing. A, whereas yes, like everyone yeah. in this movie, at least like they're adults, like yes. for, for the most part. So like, yeah, that's... There is that sense of remove where you can be like, these are clearly people in their mid to late 20s. You, They are not in college. Um, I felt like I got the point of this very early on. I wasn't necessarily bored, but I, I just felt it to be kind of monotonous. And I will admit, I split it up um, cause I had to go to work at one point. So I watched an hour of this thing and the movie starts off with a really gross scene of sexual assault, which really was like, Oh God. And then I came back and I was like, okay, I'm going to throw this back on. And then the suicide scene happened. So I will say I, my viewing is colored by the fact that both times I hopped into this movie, even though you're not supposed to watch it that way, I went into the most triggering scenes for me. Self-harm is one of the few things that I'm very, very triggered by in particular. And I was texting Kevin and Brian and being like, God fucking damn it. Like, and I have the same issues with you, Brian, where I was just like, I don't think the movie's not trying to be empathetic, but it is so stylistic in a way that it 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 pissed me off that we don't know who this person is. And the movie's kind of using her in the same way it uses all of the characters. Oh, yeah. And then to do the whole like she was there the whole time in the frames where I was just kind of like, I, well, I hated that. I did hate movie. I did hate <laughs> that because after I read the book, I was just like, OK, there's a secret admirer somewhere in there. So and it doesn't point to it during no. those scenes at all. But I knew from reading the book that I knew that she yeah. was she was going to be there. So the pointing out afterwards felt like I was watching like Unsolved Mysteries. I didn't like that. It's yeah. Avery's underlining again, where it's like, you're being too obvious. Like, yeah, you, you I got it. Enough. I got it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I guess my thing with those two things is that, and both of these are women, that this is where they're going to end up. And here's how we're going to backtrack to both of them in a way made me feel kind of queasy where I'm like, I know this is the point. And I know that you're trying to make points about misogyny in a way that like I know that's very much what you're tackling but it it, the movie's so obsessed with stylistic excesses that it's never boring and I think it is made you know like the the craftsmanship is very impressive but it's also it felt strange to me a lot of the time like he's consistently trying to show you how impressive he is with the camera while also hammering the same point home like over and over again in uh-huh. a way that I found to be very monotonous and exhausting and in, not in a way that I found necessarily boring but and I like movies about teenagers who are uh, are empty inside and just drown out their sorrows with booze and drugs and sex I- and stuff like that but there is a point where I just felt like is this movie going to tell me anything I don't already know that I haven't seen in like the first 20 minutes and for me, no. I understand what a lot of people get out of this. And again, if I saw this when I was 16, it could have blown my mind, especially as someone who is gay and was in the closet throughout high school. I think the stuff with um, Ian Somerhalder from a very selfish point of view, where he is so obsessed with James Vanderbeek. I mean, that scene where uh, the most effective scene to me was the one where he did, he was on the bus and he's just kind of like, what's he thinking? And stuff like that. And then it cuts back to James Vanderbeek and he's just thinking about you know having sex with someone completely different and then he's just like, mm-hmm. i don't remember what the line is but it's just it's so cold and so bleak and i'm like that says, is exactly i'm hungry i'm i'm hungry and i'm like that is exactly what it feels like to 
straight crush after somebody right (laughs) you know even though you know like even in college like I I thought that stuff was very effective but at the same time I found I found it to be just kind of impressive while also just very hitting the hammer just just I said that already just you know just kind of you know it's the same thing for you know nearly two hours in a way that didn't really give me anything I didn't already know from not only other Brett Easton Ellis movies, but also about alienated youth. And maybe it's because I'm watching the movie 20 years after it came out and I missed my time for when this was truly gonna, you know, be revolutionary for me. But uh, I found it to be very much, uh, very much uh, an exercise in style over substance uh where the style is obviously meant to be the substance but i think especially after revisiting american psycho beforehand and seeing how someone can be distanced enough from themselves from the source material and take a unique take to adapt it cinematically and morph the text into something um to push the message even further uh-huh. And also feel a little more relaxed, which is weird to say about a movie like American Psycho. <laughs> but to oh, yeah, to, definitely. You know what I mean? Like I, I just felt like this was just kind of like we're unhinged, and that's the point. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. But it, 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 it I, I felt I found the whole experience kind of exhausting. And I don't want to say that as a negative thing. I know the movie's meant to be exhausting, but I didn't really. I left exhausted while also feeling like uh, I got it early on so yeah and you're right i think about you know america cycle i mean like it, it, it does it is kind of like impressive to see how like heron paces that movie so well where like all the scenes it's like it's hitting all the narrative beats like in like just like what seems like the right order whereas like rules of attraction it's like weird like the, the victor scene which i'd only seen beforehand outside of the film is like just sort of an isolated scene it's like that's 80 minutes into this like like two hour movie it's like it's weird that, yeah. that it comes so late in the movie it does kind of have like a lopsided I mean, the movie's watchable, but it is like the kind of thing where I was checking the time being like, yeah. So where are we at narratively? Like, and, and, like how is this going to wrap up? Yeah, I, like, yeah. I completely agree with you, by the way, all of you, by the way, about that montage. I think that montage is so impressive and so well done, but it should have come much earlier because by the time it happens, I was like, all right, I know exactly what this is doing already. And I'm just tired now. <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. Because in the book, you get Victor prime like every so often you know it's Mm -hmm. not just this big dump at the end or whatnot it it, he's like i don't know he's probably in like the first like 30 minutes you first get where he's at in europe and whatnot um also interesting um the book um also oh no i've lost my train of thought anyways um but i will say that yeah i think this is the most like like the the deterrence of it is also what it's trying to do and the benefit of it. So it's just like, if or if not they succeeded in your approval of it, it's like, it's probably like one of the most accurate college movies <laughs> at the same time. Everybody thinks of themselves as so high and mighty, but they're actually just boring. Um, so it's just like, yeah, that can be a statement, but how fun is that to actually watch type of thing? Uh, Kate, what do you think of like just how the college experience and how the characters are presented in the movie? Well, I, uh, I went to community college, so, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and lived with my, um, one of my parents for the first couple of years. So I definitely did not have that experience. Thank uh-huh. God. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, I did want to kind of raise a point, um, based off of what uh, you were saying, Charlie, and that is that, um, I, and this is just, just a thought to see like where, where you guys might take it, but, I feel like um, there, there are many times within the film where the characters break the fourth wall, right? And they'll yeah. look directly at the camera and it, it basically gives you the sense that like you as the audience are also a character within the mm-hmm. story. And so yeah. maybe given that each character is insanely selfish and self-absorbed and the camera movements themselves are also kind of very self-aware Mm-hmm. that maybe that was the intention that he was using with all of his extreme um, stylistic choices, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I definitely agree. I, I, and I think that the, the characters 
almost know how I would argue the characters are almost are, are aware of how self-absorbed they are and that they don't care. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Which which also Avery doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care. It's a yeah. fearless movie. I will that, I think that's what held my interest is like it is fearless in how abrasive and grotesque it is. So mm-hmm. I don't want to be like that person because that was the other thing I kept telling myself is like to I don't want to use this phrase because I know it has a terrible connotation to it but to clutch my pearls is the point does that make any sense you know like it's trying it, to get a reaction yeah the entire trying time trying to get a reaction out of me and like um and I'm fine with all of that it wasn't like I mean it, it's just um and like I, I I find it very interesting Kate that you were like I loved it and I hated it at the same time because I I definitely was I was consistently like I find this very unpleasant I know it's meant to be unpleasant. I, I, I mean, but at the same time, I, I, I find it to be, I like, I, I kept trying to question what about this movie I annoyed me in certain ways while other movies that are of similar ilk do that don't. Because for example, and uh, speaking of uh, James Franco playing despicable uh, monster people that are close to him in real life, I think Spring Breakers is a masterpiece. And I think you could easily use every criticism that I just brought up against this movie towards oh, yeah. movie to a certain extent. But I do think there are layers to Spring Breakers in um, cultural appropriation and, uh, and, and, and uh, commentaries on white women and all, all that stuff that are under the surface as opposed to like here i feel screaming like in your face it's just all screaming in your face and that's okay i don't want to be like i don't like blunt heavy-handed message movies i you know i've been on record on this pod for defending darren aronofsky movies for fuck's sakes and he's anything yeah. but subtle that's but, a subtle move. yeah <laughs> but uh i i i don't know maybe it caught me at a wrong time because i agree there I, I truly feel like there's a part of me that was like, I should have watched this when I was younger because now watching it and not having read the book, I, I found it, I, I don't want to just, I don't want to give off the impression that I was just shrugging the whole time. Like, yeah, and, but I can't deny that like that's, I kind of got what this thing was saying and I didn't really care. And that kind of, I just have to be honest with that. I also went to, you know, I I went to Emerson College, you know, it, which is a college in Boston, Massachusetts, which is full of a lot of rich, wealthy white people. And like, this wasn't it, like, don't get me wrong, this type of shit doesn't happen at Emerson on a daily basis. But I was kind of like, maybe my own personal experiences. And I, for the record, made lots of friends at Emerson College, loved my college experience, but definitely went to parties where it was just these people. Like, sometimes uh-huh. that I would, you would walk into a wrong party and be like, oh God, like Jesus Christ, like get me out of here. Which again, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that you should be forced to be in situations and forced to see things that make you uncomfortable. I just didn't find it Mm -hmm. that deep or that illuminating with the exception of a few, like you said, Kate, the split screen moment, I found to be very impressive. The montage with Victor, I found to be very impressive. The insomnia summer holder stuff are going to be impressive but i like bryden brought up i i agree with you bryden the whole scene at the restaurant with dick i found it to be funny almost in a way because i love seeing faye dunaway and Susie kurtz in this movie for some reason where it's like <laughs> all the early yeah. punks like vanderbeek and bosworth and beale are in this movie and then all of a sudden they show up and they're just like taking pills like what is it who cares like i found their reactions to be funny but almost not in a way the movie was intending it was almost in a fourth well it was almost in a oh my god faye dunaway and Susie kurtz are in this movie for some reason kind of way yeah that scene just kind of annoyed me because like it's cutting between them like the, the sort of loud quiet contrast where it's them like saying what are these pills like in an empty restaurant and then like cutting to like this like very drawn out dance lip sync scene to faith and i'm just like i feel like the, the i kind of like that scene it's but the performances cute. and i get like they're self-absorbed or everything but it's like i feel like you're just straining the performers are straining so hard like look how funny this is and it's like i just this is going on so long i don't like it but um yeah i and, and you, his performance you, i agree with you bryden it's just very obnoxious and i it's it's again straining for those comedic beats of look how wrong this person's being and i'm like i get exactly. it you know yeah. like just, Which American Psycho does too, and you know Wolf of Wall Street, Spring Breakers, Greg Araki movies 
there's a way to be abrasive with a certain tone and i feel like this kind of just it's a pitch that's a little too off for me. It's timing. It's like the yeah. thing where like there's like there's that dead air where it's like these like awkward pauses where it's people just like sort of like like oh uh, look how shocking this is and it's like mm-hmm. stop I get it but um yeah um and it is like also like you could tell that Avery has like worked with guys like Tarantino where like he just like yeah, no but the cons Junior like say motherfucker motherfucker like you know like five times in one sentence just like oh my god not this not is- in the book at all yeah oh wow yeah um. That yeah, dinner, will... that dinner scene. If you read the book, you'd hate it even more. Oh my God. <laughs> I'll just say that because Faye Dunaway and Susie Kurtz aren't in it. <laughs> well, that and also he goes on for Dick goes on for way longer and screams a racist joke that's also the same racist joke that's in the American Psycho book. Yeah, you'd hate it even more. <laughs> he names more vulgar classes to take him, like free basing one hundred and one and everything. Like he names. No, that's directly from the book. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, that it's it's also interesting. The book is definitely set whenever it it uh, was released, like in the mid '80s, late '80s. And um, there's the thing in this, and also in American Psycho, where characters list songs that are on and stuff like that. But this one definitely takes place most likely in modern day or late '90s because that yeah, that film student. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And the film student is talking about like Tarantino when he's trying to pick oh, up on Lauren and whatnot. That was stroking himself there. That's like yeah. so annoying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Accurate, but yes. Yeah. Uh because um, in the book I forget what he's talking about, but to see that he's name dropping Tarantino is just like, oh, okay, so they changed this one into modern day. Yeah. But and and for the record, I just one more thing. I want to make it clear. I don't care that I can't relate to these people. I just don't find them that interesting. You know, I Oh, can't they're really- not. And they're meant to be but it's like the thing of like yeah you meant to be but that doesn't mean i i enjoy it that much although the the performances pull me through the character beats that are not working like i think vanderbeek is fantastic karen saucerman what she gets to do is pretty good really good i i guess that's the other thing is the framing of that character in particular where that's the first scene you see and then you're just i get that the point of the movie is that you're haunted by where her character will end up right and that's the the whole point and i feel like you can handle that in a film that would be effective but i feel like her character doesn't really get by the end of the movie any sense of like i don't know like and maybe the and i get that that's the point too that they're all empty but like she's the one pure character and uh, yeah something and the, about the that critiquing that, that i sorry go ahead yeah I'm no no, no please go ahead you were kind of finishing what i was thinking about yeah, yeah i mean i i did bring it up earlier like it's like the movie is obviously like saying like vanderbeek you know and i i like that the movie subversive is like you know where like and you know this as teen comedy assassination where it's like vanderbeek thinking like this is my chance to be a good person by like projecting by like redeeming myself through this girl and it's like no you'd still be a jerk and like you're also like having a very reductive view of her and anything but then the movie doesn't really characterize her beyond being like and this is actually like a thing now i i'm i i don't know if it's like saucerman like her performance is like different than like how the character is written but like i feel like her performance she's the only one who kind of seems like a human being in the movie whereas like Mm -hmm. you know especially and like when she says like you know it doesn't matter to like you know people like uh, people like him, people like us. I'm like saying I don't know. You seem like you're kind of like different, especially because she's shown pulling the this the girl who commits suicide out of the bathtub and everything. Like that is like yeah. kind of a selfless thing. It's like I don't know if it's like maybe the movie doesn't quite. Do she also job. takes a minute before she drags her out, which she is friends with her. So it's like she's at first you may be shocked or whatever, but she doesn't immediately do it. But also I can't tell if that's like one of the split screen things where it's just like. I could have saved her and I couldn't have saved her. Like when Paul is fantasizing about Sean and whatnot, where he's just like, Oh, this would what I want to happen. And then this is what actually happens, which in the book, Paul talks about uh, having sex with Sean and hanging out with him and all that. And then Sean never mentions him in his chapters. So it's like, this is all in Paul's head, which the movie definitely like disregards Paul for like 40 minutes. And then he just shows up again. He's just like, Oh, Hey Sean, how's it going? He's like, I don't even know who the fuck you are. Fuck you, um, Bateman. Yeah. yeah. Just like slipping on the snow. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, it is interesting to watch us like where like, it is funny, like how this and American psycho do sort of like the similar things with like, you know, the not really connecting with people. I mean, like that split screen scene, it's like them, like these two people who are like literally face to face and they don't really like emotionally connect until like, 90 seconds of their conversation when like the ape turns into one two shot and everything but then just as quickly that moment solves where like they're in separate shots again 
But then also, like, uh, I, I mentioned, it's funny how, like, there's the mergers and acquisitions uh, mishearing gag in American Psycho. There's the same bit here where it's like, you know, I brought, I need a case of beer. Quesadilla? Like, it's like, I'm just, like, yeah. hearing what they want to hear. So, like, uh-huh. it is fun to, like, sort of hear see like, kind of, um, even if, like, I'm not necessarily sure about the depth of it all, it's funny to see similarities in, like, Ellis's um, worldview, uh, I guess you could call it. Um, mm-hmm. Terrible worldview. I mean, that's the other thing where, like, it can get a little over the top for me, where, like, it's, like, even the hospital workers are just as, like, shitty as, it's, like, as shitty as everyone else. It's, like, I'm on my break. Oh, I'm not yeah. helping this OD kids. like, really? Like, I find that a little bit, like, everyone in, like, the, in the state is, like, terrible, too. It's, just, like, okay, that's a little much, but anyways. Sorry, I mean, that's I'm, kind I'm of the, up to other points. I, I feel like that's the thing that's interesting between the link between this and American Psycho is that American Psycho, the whole point is that everybody sounds the same. And that's kind of what the commentary is about. Here, everybody sounds the same, and that's what the movie's about, but the but what it's saying is much more obvious, where American Psycho has so many uh, layers and so much uh, subtextual commentary going on, whereas this is all laid out pretty thick. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, definitely not- written from the point of view of somebody that's like, when you are this type of person, you wish or you want to think everybody's just as terrible as you, because then you don't have to think about how terrible you are. <laughs> it's yeah. like the doctor who thinks this kid is dead when he's clearly talking and breathing, and that's Paul Williams, which is very funny to me. Um, <laughs> uh, really quickly, I, I would say what I found fascinating about the, the adaptation of American Cycle was like when you get characters like Chloe Sevigny and Carrie Seymour's where it's like, oh, they yes. are different than like the, the other characters. Like that is kind of like an, a, a bracing moment where it's like seeing how they're affected here and anything. Whereas like having like even the hospital workers be like, a, have like to be just as disinfected as everyone else is just like, okay, like sure, I guess. <laughs> it's uh-huh. like, it feels like a bit of an easy joke, but like, yeah. Um, I mean, I, that's just one thing I wanted to point out. But um, yeah. Uh, anything else we want to bring up about Rules of Attraction? Mm, it sounds like you need to be in the right frame of mind to watch it. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I will admit, having to watch this for the pod, I do wonder, because I did, you know, sometimes there are times where you just throw something on because you want it to. And sometimes, like, when you do a podcast like this, sometimes you just are like, well, I have to watch this. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if I saw this under different circumstances and I just watched it, like, because I've always been interested in watching this film. I do also want to point that out. It's not like I was like, oh, okay. Like, it's always been on my radar, but there are times where you're just not in the, a proper headspace. And okay. sometimes you just have to watch it because you have to watch it. Um, I do wonder, and again, it's why I brought up, like, if I saw this when I was 16, who knows what I would have thought. This might have been revolutionary for me. I, I do think, um, yeah. I don't know. And and I will admit also just um, a part of me with these two episodes is a little more biased because I, I, I like Mary Heron's other stuff. You know, I like I Shot Andy Warhol and Charlie Says, which are all films that are very much about certain types of people who are not are mentally unwell during certain pivotal points in history uh, that I think she used um, American Psycho to tap into how this type of psychological behavior applies to this point in time but also is just universal whereas maybe if we didn't pair these two movies up and I watched this movie as a separate entity I wouldn't have been as like um specifically critical of because I'm not familiar with Roger Avery's other films I haven't seen Killing Zoe I haven't seen any anything else but I know a lot of people who saw this as a, its own work um it's basically all he's lot. done <laughs> to get a lot out of it uh i don't know i'm seeing there's this movie called lucky day and uh it sounds like it's a major american movie of the of the 2020s no, joking, i yeah. think i think even i think even Redbox wouldn't carry that but charlie sorry <laughs> oh, oh it's okay i just do think that i can't separate my own viewing experience from having just watched american psycho knowing we were going to compare these two movies or talk about these two movies and then comparing them to even though i haven't read the books so i know i'm a little <laughs> like out of my depth here but like just comparing them in terms of like this certain type of uh misanthropic mindset if that makes any sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah um, i mean go, go no, ahead, go ahead. Kate, please oh, no, i was just gonna say it's it's uh it is worth 
it is worth the watch if only to um to dissect it and, and talk about it i mean every every good movie is thought-provoking and sparks conversation and this one definitely did so yeah no i was i'm just about to talk about it too with, with all of you yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Almost Major. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please follow the pod on Twitter at Almost Major to keep up to date with what movies we will be covering in the future. Myself, I can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at Kev Bonesy. Bryden can be found on Twitter at Bryden Doyle and on Letterboxd at J Doyle. Charlie can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at CTNash91. Once again, thank you for listening.